Hi guys, Jeff here again. Uh, welcome to this blog. Uh, this one comes to you uh, a little bit windy, so uh, sorry about if there's any wind coming across the mic. Um, yeah, this this blog coming to you from Burwash uh, in East Sussex. Uh, and uh, the reason I'm in Burwash is because I'm visiting the house or the, the, the residence of Roger Kipling. And uh, I'm going to have a tour around Roger Kipling's house. <coughs> um, and uh, give you a quick sort of uh, description of what it's like. Um, so basically, yeah, there's a, a house uh, which is a uh, sort of Edwardian, uh, quite a grand place. Um, and uh, just walking across the car park, uh, it's quite a large car park here. Um, the uh, Sussex countryside it's in a bit of a valley and uh, I set them in the countryside there's nothing really for no neighbours here there's a sort of um, quite uh, remote really um, and uh, yeah some really great views from here um, so yeah walking down towards the the actual uh, entrance um, uh, it's actually run by uh, the National Trust here in the UK which is a uh, an organisation who runs historic buildings um, so yeah just coming up now to the entrance so I'll talk a bit more if I get a chance in the actual uh, gardens um, not in the properties probably but uh, I'll give you a description afterwards so speak to you in a minute Okay, uh, yeah, basically, yeah, I've gone through the uh, entrance, uh, now I'm in the back garden, uh, quite a large back garden, um, not the average sort of size back garden, um, probably about an acre, I think, something like that, uh, and I'm looking across this uh, so it is definitely Edwardian house. Um, it's sandstone, um, very sort of grand, sort of manor house. Uh, there's a couple of outbuildings uh, where there's uh, his car, which was uh, he used, which was a Phantom Rolls Royce Phantom. It's in a uh, a small outbuilding, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a very pleasant place to come if you. Ever in East Sussex, a uh, very, very pleasant place. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> basically, uh, what I'm going to do is 
I don't think I'm going to be able to, uh, you know, talk uh, in the house uh, as such. So I'll uh, give you a sort of rundown of what I found once I've been through there. Uh, just sort of give you a description. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, the, at the end, I'm going to be reading a poem, <laughs> which is a classic poem. It really is a classic poem. Uh, <clears throat> which is very, very uh, descriptive of females, really. <laughs> As, so uh, I'll do that at the, uh, at the end. Uh, probably have to go back to the car. It's so windy here uh, today. Uh, so I'll speak to you shortly. Right, back again. Uh, right, I've just been around the house. Uh, uh, quite incredible in there, really. Uh, very dark, uh, sort of dark wood panelling. Um, quite sort of dark inside there. Um, a lot of a lot of the furniture, um, most of it, most of the uh, everything that's in the house. Almost everything in the house is original. Uh, so it feels very odd uh, walking in. Uh, same house and seeing the same things that uh, you know everything there is what uh, he owned uh, so very enjoyable um, and uh, once again uh, I saw the uh, the boy the, his son uh, John uh, I saw his bedroom. Oh, it's windy again. I'll to wait for a bit. Hang on. Yeah, so back again. <coughs> um, yeah, back in the car. Uh, it's just too windy out there to do it. Um, so, um, yeah, so uh, his son John um, was killed in the First World War. Uh, and so his bedroom is, um, uh, it's not actually a bed in the room. I don't think that anything uh, is still, um, any of that type of thing is actually still um, part of his collection. But um, there's a wardrobe, and I've spoken about this before on one of my blogs. Um, there's this, this wardrobe, uh, and it's got some of the effects of this son John uh, who's killed uh, and um, there's this school uniform hanging up uh, looks like a sort of uh, uniform from uh, about when he was about it can't have been very old it's not uh, that big probably 13 or something like that or 12 or something um uh, it's very poignant, really very poignant, because uh, I don't think Roger, Roger Kipling ever really got over his son's death. Um, so really that sort of uh, sunned him, and I think that affected him for the rest of his days. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, another... Another thing which is probably going to sound a bit odd, what we're going to think about here, is that um, 
you know, the, this man, Mr. Kipling, his um, son's death ruined his own life. Um, and, you know, it's sort of wind back the uh, clock. Um, and you, you sort of, from an other angle, you know, it sounds a bit odd to say this, to be honest, but uh, if he hadn't had that son, uh, he would have, wouldn't have had that happen. Um, so there's this sort of uh, emotional loading, isn't there, with children? No doubt, no doubt about that. Um, uh, and, you know, this is the sort of thing that men do. You know, they have children and they take on all this extra burden. Uh, and so at the moment, we're living in a society which doesn't really value anything like that. It, it doesn't really value men that, uh, you know, sacrifice uh, to have children. Um, so, yeah, that's one aspect of it. But, yeah, as I say, well worth a visit if you live in the UK. Um, so, yeah, what I really wanted to do is... What I really wanted to do was read uh, one of his poems, which uh, you never really hear about, funnily enough. Uh, and I didn't, I certainly hadn't heard of it before. Um, but I found this poem quite a while back, and uh, it's quite a long one, so, you know, if you uh, aren't enjoying this blog, maybe you want to turn away from it now, but I'm going to read this poem. Now, the poem is called The Female of the Species. When the Himalayan peasant meets the the he-bear in his pride. He shouts to scare the monster, who will often turn aside. But the she-bear, thus accosted, rends the peasant tooth and nail, for the female of the species is more deadly than the male. When Nag, the basking cobra, Hears the careless foot of man. <clears throat> he will sometimes wriggle sideways and avoid it if he can, but his mate makes no such motion where she camps beside the trail, for the female of the species is more deadly than the male. When the early Jesuit fathers preached to Hurons and Choctaws, they prayed to be delivered from the vengeance of the squaws. T'was the woman, not the warriors, turned those stark enthusiasts pale, for the female of the species is more deadly than the male. Man's timid heart is bursting with the things he must not say, for the woman that God gave him isn't his to give away. But the hunter meets the hus with husbands, each confirms the other's tale. The female of the species is more deadly than the male. Man, a bear in most relations, worm and savage otherwise, 
Man propounds negotiations. Man accepts compromise. Very rarely will he squarely push the logic of a fact to its ultimate conclusion in unmitigated act. Fear or foolishness he impels him, ere he lay the wicked low, to concede some form of trial even to his fearest foe. Mirth obscene diverts his anchor, anger, doubt and pity oft perplex him in dealing with an issue to the scandal of the sex. But the woman that God gave him, every fibre of her name, proves her launched for one sole issue, armed and engined for the same. And to serve that single issue, lest the generations fail, the female of the species must be deadlier than the male. She who faces death by torture, for each life beneath her breast, may not deal in doubt or pity, must not swerve for fact or jest. These be purely male diversions, not in these her honour dwells. She, the other law we live by, is the law and nothing else is that law and nothing else. She can bring no more to living than the powers that make her great, as the mother of an infant and the mistress of a mate. And when babe and man are lacking, and she strives unclaimed to claim, her right as femme and baron, her equipment is the same. She is wedded to convictions in default of grosser ties. Her contentions are her children. Heaven help him who denies. He will meet no suave discussion, but the instant white hot wild, wakened female of the species, warring as for spouse and child. Unprovoked, and awful changes, charges, even so she bare fights, speech that drops, corrodes and poisons, even so the cobra bites. Scientific vivisection of one nerve till it is raw, and the victim writhes in anguish like the Jesuit with a squaw. So it comes to man Comes that man, the coward, when he gathers to confer with his fellow braves in council, dare not leave a place for her. While at war and life with life and conscience, he uplifts his erring hands to some god of abstract justice which no woman understands. A man knows it, knows moreover, that the woman that God gave him must command, but may not govern, shall enthrall, but not enslave him. And she knows, because she warns him, and her instincts never fail, that the female of the species, of her species, is more deadly than the male.
Well, there we are. There's uh, quite a few red pills in that. Um, and, of course, uh, he was married. Uh, and so you wonder what, uh, what went through his mind when he was married to the uh, to this woman. Um, yeah, you wonder if he felt uh, some sort of regret. Um, writing a poem like that about females. Um, and, you know, you never hear this poem. Um, you know, you never hear about it. You never talk, nobody's ever talked about it. Uh, and I got that from the BBC website, ironically. I chose that, ironically, from their website because the BBC, of course, is uh, now dominated by females. Uh, so, you know, you know, something to think about. Um, and also, uh, another thought, really, is that, you know, the First World War and him losing his son, uh, and he, yeah, he was sort of uh, socialising with these high-ranking people of society. Uh, and I just wonder if he, I wonder why these, you know, these uh, officers and, and such don't, didn't go anywhere near the front line. Uh, they never went anywhere near the front line. Uh, and uh, these young lads that went to fight and die, uh, oftentimes they didn't really know what they were fighting for. Uh, and again, you know, some sort of manipulation from, uh, you know, society, uh, religion even, uh, and, uh, you know, people saying you must do this for to be um, respected and, you know, fighting for your country and all of this, um, you know, manipulation to go and fight in this war that they didn't really know what it was about even. Um, and even so, you know, these sort of officers and, you know, gentry not going near the front line. Uh, I wonder if that was something that Rudyard Kipling noticed. Um, I wonder if he felt awkward, you know, mixing with these types of people. Uh, knowing that, you know, they hadn't really, they'd only sort of gone, you know, <laughs> you know, from back, back from the front line and never went to the front line and stuff. Um, so I wonder about whether he felt, felt a bit odd. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> um, you know, the, the, these, these sort of elites, um, in actual fact, you know, making money out of war, which is uh, something which is very distasteful, of course, but uh, when you dig down into history, you see that the elites have always made a lot of money out of war. Uh, and uh, even today, even today, they still do it. They still make a lot of money out of war. Uh, you know, arms companies, you know, these um, so-called defence companies selling weaponry. Uh, they make a lot of money. Uh, and these these elites are quite often uh, in higher office of these defence companies. 
uh, maybe they should be called offense companies. Um, you know, so we, we're seeing now this play out in Ukraine that they're sending weaponry, uh, and you know, the more and more weaponry, and it's basically uh, a, a de facto war between Russia and America, to be honest, uh, and Europe. Uh, being dragged into a never ever increasing war uh, and people are profiting from this you know these companies and these uh, people who make these weapons they're, they're profiting from it uh, and politicians they get kickbacks and everything and they're involved with these companies too so uh, I just wonder really even you know since the first world war um, has any lesson been learned? And these elites have always got away with it. You know, they've always got away with it. Uh, yeah, so a very thought-provoking one today. <laughs> uh, and, uh, well, I hope you enjoyed that. And um, sorry about the wind flushing across the, uh, the mic there, but, yeah, it always windy today. <laughs> it's a very windy day today, so sorry about that. Uh, and uh, I'll end it here. I uh, hope you enjoyed this one and uh, hope you're looking after your health and wealth as always. And look forward to the next one. Bye for now.